welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. This is a very important uh, show today, and I am very honored to have as my guest the Jihad Watch Director, Robert Spencer. Um, This is, uh, I will tell you about him in a minute, but um, this is, you know, we're all aware, uh, getting increased, becoming increasingly aware of the 20th anniversary of 9-11 coming ever closer. And um, for a lot of us, that brings back feelings of anxiety and uh, triggers PTSD and depression and so on. But um, it is more important than ever that we keep on memorializing the anniversaries, whether it's the 20th anniversary, you know, a big uh, anniversary, or whether it's the 21st anniversary. And um, my guest today will help to explain to you why that is. I mean, the main issue is that um, terrorists have not gone away. We've been thinking about COVID and politics and all kinds of other things, but terrorists have still been thinking about us. So today's show is called Warnings from Jihad Watch Director Robert Spencer on the 9-11 anniversary. Uh, Robert Spencer is actually one of the people who inspired me when I was first becoming the terrorist therapist and went to his lectures, and um, and he has been working on this and studying, and uh, as the director of Jihad Watch, which um, will give you information on how to become a subscriber to that, but he has been, you know, it's like that commercial, do you know where your children are? Well, do you know where the terrorists are? And most of us have stopped watching because it's scary, but thank goodness we have people like Robert Spencer who not only uh, keeps watching, but um, keeps investigating and digging and writing more books. He has written over 20 books, many of them bestsellers, New York Times bestsellers, and um, his latest book is called Did Mohammed Exist? An Inquiry into Islam's Obscure Origins. This is the expanded edition. He has done more digging and more inquiring, I guess I should say, um, and has filled, filled us in with even more information. And why is this important? Well, you know, when you think about 9-11 and all the other things, the other terror attacks and all the things that have been going on um, during these past years, they have not stopped. Um, when you think about that and you wonder, you know, that's the question. It's almost too big a question for most people to ask. Did Mohammed exist? If Mohammed didn't exist, then what is all this about jihad? Why are they uh, committing jihad? You know, they're doing that in the name of Mohammed. And if he didn't exist, this whole thing is a fraud. <laughs> so with that, I will introduce you, Robert Spencer. Thank you so much for being on the show. Always good to talk to you, Dr. Carroll. Thank you very much for having me on. You're welcome. Um, let's talk about, um, before we get into your book, let's talk about this 20th anniversary. Um, have you, I'm sure you have been noticed, <laughs> noticing, I mean, you have to be 
Uh, and I'm sure you probably have been feeling as disgruntled and, and uh, unhappy about it as I have, that each year from 9-11 on, um, the memorials, the um, acknowledgments even of 9-11 um, have gotten, it with the media, with events, anything, it has gotten um, less and less there have been less of them. And, you know, whereas the media, for example, used to spend the whole day, you know, however long it took to read all the names, now they hardly give it a little, you know, <laughs> they give it, what, three minutes as a, as a fill-in. Um, perhaps this year they're going to do more. Well, it's left to be seen. But, but there has been this overriding desire to forget about it, and we don't need to keep thinking about it because it's painful to think about it. What do you think about all that? Well, you're quite right. In the first place, there is a concerted effort, I think, to make Americans think that this is all behind us, that concern about jihad violence is something from 10 or 15 years ago, and now it's just a matter of history. Uh, as you have noted, unfortunately, that's not the case, and the main people who disagree with that are the jihadis themselves, who are still very much active, even if they're not getting the press coverage that they used to get. And in the same way, 9-11 has been consigned to history, but unfortunately, we're not out of the woods in the slightest degree with the people who hit us on that day. They are still plotting. They're in the United States. They're more entrenched than they were then. And uh, while they're not trying, at least as far as I know, to uh, mount a massive attack like 9-11 again, they are still working to uh, achieve their goals by peaceful means, as well as to mount lone wolf attacks that are uh, coming more frequently now since Biden's been president after a four-year break. Yes, um, Trump did a lot to uh, to temper um, terrorism to um, not only in terms of the land and the Middle East and all that, but just this whole presidency was really very helpful. But, you know, now now it's like a free-for-all. Do you want to um, talk about how the magazine Inspire and, you know, I think, I think people are, would be surprised to hear about that. Yeah. Inspire magazine is an Al-Qaeda magazine that used to come out regularly uh, during the Obama administration and was a uh, very glossy, slickly produced, highly professional magazine that uh, would exhort Muslims to wage jihad, to strike against uh, targets in the United States and in Europe and so on. And it would detail how to build bombs and uh, how to mount other kinds of attacks. It was really a terrorist manual and it came out regularly. Interestingly enough, its last issue until recently was in April 2017, and then it went silent. And you got to wonder, hmm, what was it about 2017 to 2021 that made Al-Qaeda go silent? I wonder what that could have been. Uh, but in any case, in, uh, recently they came out with a new issue praising the jihadi who uh, stabbed people in a, actually killed 10 people, if I recall correctly, in a uh, supermarket in Colorado that sold kosher goods just a few months ago, not long after Biden became president, hailing him as a hero and uh, calling on Muslims in the United States to imitate him and mount more lone wolf attacks of that kind. 
Yes, he his picture is on the cover of um, uh, Inspire of this new Inspire issue, and uh, yes, because he was a Syrian immigrant, and they Al Qaeda is trying to uh, use him as an example, make him a hero, um, because and, you know other so that other Muslims who are in the United States as immigrants or really any any anyone who wants to be a lone wolf. Um, we'll do what he did, and I will bet that you knew, um, suspected when he when uh, he did that, when he came out and did that shooting, and we heard his background, you know, of uh, people um, making fun of him or or teasing him about being a Muslim and so on. I mean, it just I'm sure you knew from the beginning that it, that he was um, that this was a terror attack, correct? Yeah, there were some indications right at the beginning. Uh, coming out of his uh, uh, anti-Semitism, and even there were some indications that he had had ties to ISIS before that. Uh, but all that was swept under the rug in the media, and once again, it was a story of Muslim victimhood, and the poor thing just had to lash out after being subjected to Islamophobia and all that nonsense. And so, as right, a result, right. it was uh, really predictable the kind of coverage that 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 incident got and it's the same thing really every time that every time there is a jihad terror attack in which a muslim kills non-muslims the press covers it as if muslims are the victims this happens every last time without any exception and the focus immediately turns from the attack itself to the local mosque which is, we're told, bracing for a backlash from racist, okay. redneck, Trump-supporting right. Uh, right-wingers after this uh, terror attack by somebody who was only marginally a Muslim, was never known at the mosque, and uh, doesn't know anything about Islam, was violating the teachings of Islam, and is repudiated by all Muslims everywhere. I could write the stories that they put out after every terror yes. attack, because yes. they always yes. follow the same pattern. Yes, and in fact, I'm sure you just like uh, myself, um, whenever there's an attack and they don't give the guy's name, right? <laughs> you know right away, or you don't, or they don't show a picture, like if someone hasn't taken a video and you don't know who the uh, person is, uh, if they try to keep the person's picture and the name out of the press, you know right away that it's a terror attack. Yeah, often that's the case. Uh, sometimes I have uh, found to my surprise that uh, it's not a jihad terror attack when they're withholding the name for some other reasons. But uh, I can tell you certainly that uh, it's interesting that every time, virtually every time, a uh, Muslim in the United States claims that there was some Islamophobic incident, a hate, an anti-Muslim hate crime, it, uh, there's no video. And it's uh, in this day, a day and age when everybody has a phone and people are taking videos and posting them on the Internet all the time, that just strains credulity. Uh, the, it seems yes. as if as soon as there's some terrible Islamophobic anti-Muslim incident somewhere, then everybody loses their phone immediately. <laughs> yes. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, you kind of led into it with talking about Trump and, and Biden, and yes, of course, the whole world sees that America is weak, not just terrorists, but yes, of course, this is uh, giving an open door to terrorists, and literally an open door with the open borders. But um, I wonder what you say about, uh, like, just how far you go 
um, in talking about Obama. Because when I, I believe, and I have said this before, so, um, I mean, I know it's totally non-PC, but um, when Obama was president, first of all, I think he was the worst president we've ever had, and in particular in regard to terrorism. Because really his heart, I think that, you know, as a psychiatrist, I think that his early childhood, his father who was Muslim, his stepfather who was raised Muslim, and his going to a madrasa, I think that the tenets or his allegiance um, to radical Islam or uh, is um, got in the way or got was really coming through uh, his presidency, and he did make us. I mean, his trips to the to the Middle East, for example, we saw some of that. Um, I think that he. I think deep down. He would like America to fall into terrorist hands. Now, I know that's very strong words, and I'm curious to know if you ever say things like that. Well, I'll tell you, there is something that I said many times while Obama was president, and that is that I don't know if he's a Muslim or not. He says he isn't. I don't know if he has sympathies with the Muslim Brotherhood, but I do know that if he were a uh, Muslim who had sympathies to the Muslim Brotherhood who had become president, he wouldn't be acting any different from how he's acting. Uh, and there's no doubt that the policies he, he pursued as president, for whatever reason, and I'm not making any uh, claims about his inner life or his motivation, for whatever reason that may never be known to us, he worked to aid the goals of the Muslim Brotherhood worldwide, and he did so in a very consistent basis throughout his presidency. Uh, and so the, there's really uh, nobody who seriously looks at his record can deny that. There isn't anything uh-huh. he did anywhere that hurt the Muslim Brotherhood, and plenty that he did that helped it. And the Muslim Brotherhood is dedicated to establishing Islamic law over non-Muslim governments everywhere it can around the world. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, that's a very, uh, that's a very tactful way of putting it, I think. I think I should say it like that for now, and I just kind of come <laughs> out and say, <laughs> say what I think. But, um, I mean, not that you're not saying what you think, but it's, it's kind of a, uh, a safer way of saying it. Um well, you know, and now, of course, with Biden as president and really Obama running the White House because, you know, he's puppet, Biden is a puppet. Um, do you think, I mean, now we have Inspire as an example that came out and is, oh, and also, of course, we have to mention uh, the Al-Qaeda's video that came out as well. Do you want to talk about that? Al-Qaeda's video. Uh, can you refresh my memory a bit? I'm not quite sure which one yes, you're referring to. Um, um, well, the new one that came out at the same time as uh, the latest Inspire, that America, America's Burning, or America Burning. Oh, America Burns, Burning. And it shows. Yeah, that's the, yes. that was exactly the same message. This is uh, uh, the same idea as the print edition of Inspire. It was really sort of a video version of the Inspire magazine issue because it uh, was praising the Colorado Jihadi, calling for Muslims in the U.S. to emulate him. Same thing that the print magazine did, and with all sorts of lurid imagery about America being on fire. It's noteworthy that 
uh, in Greece, Greece right now is on fire, and a mm. Muslim migrant from Afghanistan was just one of the people arrested for arson, for setting some of those fires. Uh-huh. And I know that Al-Qaeda in the past has called for uh, fire to be used as a jihad weapon. There are fires, of course, in California all the time. And every time I see them, I think, you know, it's a really great weapon for jihadis to use because it's virtually impossible to get caught. Sometimes, obviously, you do. But it's very easy to go into some remote area and start a fire and leave the area before anybody knows you were ever there. And uh, I don't know if this is what's going on in the United States, but I know that that's what's called for in this video that you're referring to. And this is something that uh, jihad groups, both al-Qaeda and ISIS, have spoken about in the past, uh, wanting to use fire as a jihad weapon. And so it, uh, it can't really, I don't think it can be responsibly discounted. Yes, I know. Um, I mean, I, I think about that, too, that really... And when you think about it, not only is it hard to find the person who set the fire, but how much destruction can be done with one person, depending upon where you are, of course, but like uh, like in California, one person setting, you know, setting a few logs on fire, that it destroys a lot of people, can kill people, can destroy their homes, destroy, you know, obviously destroy a lot. So it's, it's a very um, economical way of doing things um, yeah. to get a lot of destruction. Yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly what Al-Qaeda talks about, that you don't need, you know, you don't need to learn how to make a bomb. You don't need any sophisticated knowledge. All you need is a match, really. And uh, dry kindling, which is all over in California, because as the uh, former president, as Donald Trump pointed out, you know, for environmentalist reasons, the... uh, the the I don't even know what it's called, but I know what it what what it is. You know what I'm talking about. The the when a tree falls and dies, they just leave it sitting there because environmentalists uh-huh. insisted that it was no good to uh, to clear all that away. And that's the kind of that's mm-hmm. what ends up catching fire. And it used to be California had policies of clearing it, clearing those kinds of things away. That was uh, and the, those policies were killed by the environmentalists. And now it's uh, California is paying the price. Yeah, yeah. Well, we need to take a break um, right now, which is a good spot. And when we come back, we will talk more um, about about the threat that you need to know about. And thank goodness we have people like Robert Spencer, who is the director of Jihad Watch and who does keep watch for all of us. I like to call you the canary in the coal mine. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I understand. Well, all right. So, <laughs> I've been so called worse. You're listening. <laughs> yes. Stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and we'll be right back. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. 
Dr. Carroll is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest today is Robert Spencer. He is the doyen of uh, terrorist authorities. Uh, the show today is called Warnings from Jihad Watch Director Robert Spencer on the 9-11 anniversary, which is coming ever nearer. Um, one of the things that I wanted to, oh, and let me give a little bit more background. I, I was so eager to get into talking to you that I didn't really give your background justice. Um, he, Robert Spencer is the director of Jihad Watch, and he's the author of 23 books, including many G- bestsellers, such as The Truth About Mohammed, The History of Jihad, The Critical Quran, The Palestinian Delusion, etc. And his latest book is Did Mohammed Exist? an inquiry into Islam's obscure origins. He's led seminars for the FBI, the U.S. Central Command, the U.S. Army Command, and General Staff College, the Asymmetric Warfare Group, and the Joint Terrorism Task Force. Um, I think, as I might have mentioned at the beginning, I was fortunate enough to hear him uh, at a conference, I think maybe two conferences. One of them was in, uh, I think one of them was in Vegas and one of them was in Texas. Um, if if I'm not mistaken. In any case... Uh, that um, may be. So yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> you, mean, you mean you didn't remember? <laughs> actually, actually, um, I do, I can, the one in Texas, I was uh, selling in the back of the room my first book about terrorism called Coping with Terrorism, Dreams Interrupted. I don't know if that'll jar you. I'm sure you had other things to, uh, you were presenting what you were presenting, which was a lot more important. Uh, that book was the, um, the book on the, for the first anniversary, it was published in London for the first anniversary of their 9-11, which was 7-7. Um, yes. but I, so I wanted to ask you, I know one of the things that really frustrates me, and obviously you've had all these books and you've had all these bestsellers, so obviously there are people and you've given all these lectures and, you know, the Joint Task Force and so on. So obviously there are lots of people listening to you. But does it frustrate you um, 
that more people aren't as aware of some of the things or don't want to be aware of some of the things that you're talking about that we all should be aware of, um, whether it's why we need to continue to honor uh, and and, um, uh, not only honor the the victims, but commemorate 9-11, learn about 9-11 and other terror attacks and so on, and learn about terrorists. Um, is it for, and do things to prepare for the next attacks and so on. Does it frustrate you that that um, more of the average uh, citizen isn't really as concerned about these things? Well, you know, uh, I can say that I have been frustrated by that, but that after all these years of doing this, uh, kind of used to the idea, but it's no doubt that I think it's uh, something that ought to be more better known, ought to be better known among people. But at the same time, we have to understand and remember that Americans are heavily propagandized these days, and there are concerted efforts to mislead them, not only about this, but about many other things from the establishment media, which is in no sense a news source in any way anymore, but a propaganda organ for the hard left, and the left is sympathetic to the Islamic Jihad worldwide. Consequently, it's not interested in having the truth told about it and wants people in the dark about it. So I kind of take for granted at this point that most people don't have any idea of the nature and magnitude of what's going on. And of course, there are ongoing concerted efforts to suppress my website and prevent people from getting to it, uh, jihadwatch.org because the uh, people, the establishment media, the political and media elites, they, uh, they know that if people were aware, then they would be energized to act and to elect politicians who would deal with these problems realistically. And so uh, they would prefer to keep them in the dark and make sure that their little sinecures continue. Yes, yes. And I'm glad you, you mentioned that, um, the connection between the left and um, jihad and the, and the, overlo- the, the long-term plans. Do you want to go into that a little more? The long-term plan of the jihadis uh, is well, to no, impose the, the, a... Go ahead, I'm go sorry. Ahead. No, go ahead. No, go no ahead. I, I, I wanted to make sure I understood your question. The overall plan well, well, of the people who are concealing this? Well, that and you can start with the overall plan of the jihadis, just as a... Sure. The jihadis want to impose Islamic law over the whole world. Uh, that's, what they, that's why they do everything they do. They're not just, when they carry out jihad attacks, not just uh, engaging in some kind of love for violence, but they are trying to destabilize Western governments so that they will fall and they can be replaced by Islamic governments. Uh, now, the establishment media is far to the left and is deeply committed to uh, Marxism, to socialism, to imposing authoritarianism over the United States. I think that's become increasingly clear. What we might have dismissed as some crazy conspiracy theory just a couple of years ago, now it's obvious that uh, there are large segments of the left that have... Um, openly espoused violence against those who disagree with them, 
and openly espoused the destruction of the freedom of speech and the destruction of the Second Amendment as well, so that consequently uh, Americans will be defenseless and subject to an authoritarian government. And now, uh, this is something that's working hand-in-arm with the uh, Islamic Jihad, because the left and the Islamic Jihadis have a common goal, and that is they both hate America. They both want to see a cultural revolution and the destruction of the existing order so that it can be replaced by uh, what the left wants, a communist state, and what the Muslims want, a Sharia state. Once they destroy the United States as it exists today, then they will uh, fight each other. But first they have to destroy the United States as it exists today. Uh, And right now, they both have this common enemy of America, the Judeo-Christian civilization, the West, and they're working together toward this common goal. Yes, that was... uh that was very clearly, that certainly should be very clear to everyone. I mean, the way that you, that you explained it. Um, why don't we, how about talking about your book for a change? Yeah. Um, uh, Did Muhammad Exist is a historical exploration, and it is based on uh, actually an earlier book that I wrote called The Truth About Muhammad. And I wrote The Truth About Muhammad because I wanted to give people who are not Muslim in the West a clear understanding of what Muslims learn about Muhammad from the earliest Islamic sources. But when I looked into those early Islamic sources, I found that they really were not very historically accurate. They were actually a couple hundred years after Muhammad is supposed to have lived. And there isn't any earlier information about uh, what Muhammad was like at all. And so the more uh, I looked into that, the more it became clear that Muhammad is actually more fiction than fact, more legend than reality, and was constructed in order to create a uh, new religion that would support and help expand this new Arab empire. Well, what about, okay, so where did all the stories come from? You know, there are good stories and bad stories, and stories about his having concubines and still positive stories about him. Um, How did... How did that all also come together? Once the uh, early Muslims, and they were the first Muslims, when, when we have the Arab conquests in the 7th century, the 600s, there's no mention of Islam or Muslims or Quran or anything in any of the, the writings that come from that time. But later on, when we start hearing about Muslims and about Muhammad for the first time, then different groups with different factions within the uh, new Muslim community began to construct stories of Muhammad in order to support their own point of view. So if they wanted to do something, they would say, Muhammad said to do this. And then the other side would uh, say, no, no, Muhammad said to do that, and make a story that was completely contradictory to the other one, to the first one. And so what you get, what you end up with is the Hadith, the stories about Muhammad, being completely contradictory. And this has been a difficulty for Islamic scholars for centuries. Uh, And even in the early days, in the 800s, when the stories about Muhammad were first being collected together, the uh, Imam Bukhari, who, who 
collected the what is still to this day considered to be the most reliable collection of Muhammad's teachings. He said that uh, he collected 600,000 stories of Muhammad and then rejected 593,000 of them as inauthentic. And so even he admitted, a pious Muslim, that Muslims were forging stories about Muhammad left and right to support their own points of view. And I think he was right that those 593,000 were forgeries, but he was wrong about the 7,000, which were also forgeries. So, so, um, I mean, do the majority of... (laughs) I, I take it that this that your book is not have have you been doing well first of all one of the questions I had is are you do you feel in danger because of all of these things that you have researched and write about I mean for example well, I would imagine there are that. a lot of I mean one thing I realized not, many years ago is I'm not going to live forever and so uh, I'm not going to live on my knees you know. Uh, Sharb, the great cartoonist who was the editor of Charlie Hebdo magazine, who was massacred by Islamic jihadis in 2015, he said, I would rather uh, die standing up than live on my knees. And I agree with that. Uh Uh-huh. 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 Yes. Um, (laughs) um, Well, okay. So have you, do you ever do um, talks where there are people who sort of, uh, I don't want to say violently necessarily, but aggressively or passionately disagree with you about, you know, basically saying that that, uh, Muhammad didn't exist? Yeah, I certainly have done that. Uh, I haven't done it lately because nowadays America is so polarized that people, uh, especially the left, they they disagree with you. They don't want to talk to you. They want to make sure you (laughs) can't talk. To anyone. That's true. And, That's true. Uh, so they don't want to discuss or debate. I'd be happy to do that with anybody they want, but uh, they uh-huh. know they would lose, and so that doesn't uh, it's not it doesn't exist as a possibility these days. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, do you see? Is there any um, room? Would there be any use for? dispelling um, these myths about Muhammad to radical Islamists, if one would imagine that they would even listen. I mean, (laughs) besides the left, you know, whether you could get radical Islamists to listen, or maybe, um, you know, maybe some who are uh, not on the, on, you know, not in the midst of fighting. But, um, I mean, in other words, the, um, the programs to rehabilitate terrorists have been almost universally failures. Is there any room for putting, giving this information about Muhammad into that, which would kind of um, dispel some of their reasons for why they waged jihad? Well, I, I'd be all for that. I think that might be very interesting. Uh, I don't think that the U.S. State Department would ever dare do such a thing because they're committed to the idea that there is no jihad in the first place. There is no Islamic jihad, and so there's nothing to worry about. Uh, Islam is a religion of peace and tolerance that has nothing whatsoever to do with terrorism. That's what Hillary Clinton told us. And so, uh, as a result, they, they would never 
confront Islam in order to confront jihad. They would never, never do that in a million years. Uh, but I do think it would be very interesting and it could work because I'll tell you, for example, there is a, uh, an imam in Canada, Shabir Ali, who did a video supposedly refuting this book. And all he did was hmm. say that it was based on fringe scholars, whereas uh, his, uh, the, 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 the Muslims who believed that Muhammad existed were basing their views on mainstream scholars. So, you know, to say hmm. that somebody has mainstream scholars or fringe scholars, that's just name-calling. It doesn't really have any substance. And so uh, his video fell flat. But what I thought was fascinating about it was that he said it right at the beginning. He stated very succinctly what is at stake in this issue when he said, if uh, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, did, that's what he said, did not exist, then, of course, there's no point in being a Muslim. And so that could be revolutionary uh -huh. in terms of Islamic jihadis perhaps deciding that it's not worth it to kill and be killed for a law. But, uh, like I said, the U.S. State Department is never going to go there. Well, now, so are you saying that, um, I mean, you're not, are you saying that um, all Muslims, I mean, I know in the Quran it does have passages where it does say um, to kill the non-believer, uh, but do you believe that all Muslims think that, or do you believe that there are peaceful Muslims? Oh, of course they're peaceful Muslims. Everybody's met peaceful Muslims. Uh, the, that's never been in dispute. The, uh, what I'm talking about is Islamic teaching. I Islam contains doctrines calling for warfare against unbelievers. But this doesn't mean that every Muslim either knows about them or cares about them or carries them out. It's just like with any other right. religion. You know, there are, uh, uh, Jesus says, turn the other cheek and love your enemies. But there are a lot of Christians who, are, who don't do that. Does this mean that Jesus didn't say it? No, he still said it, but they just don't pay attention. And it's the same right. thing in Islam. In Islam teaches that you should wage war against unbelievers. There are plenty, millions, hundreds of millions of Muslims who will never do that. But that doesn't mean that those mm -hmm. teachings aren't there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, um, we need, this segment has ended. Time is going really quickly. Um, we will come back. And um, again, the latest book of my guest, Robert Spencer, is Did Muhammad Exist? An Inquiry into Islam's Obscure Origins. So stay tuned and we'll be back with more. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the Terrorism Hotline. 
And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey Alexa! Hey Google! Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, where we're talking today. We're getting, actually, warnings from Jihad Director Dr. Robert Spencer. Uh, as, we approach, as we approach the 9-11 20th anniversary... And let, let me ask you, what are you planning on doing for the 20th anniversary? Well, that's a good question. I don't have any particular plans. I guess something I ought to do before that is write a uh, 20-year retrospective of how the whole thing went wrong and the whole war on terror was bungled and why we're worse off now than we were 20 years ago. Uh, I guess I'm going to have to do that, and I'll probably start that in the beginning of September and have it ready for the 11th. <laughs> have it ready for the 11th? Do you mean like as a Kindle book? Oh, I don't think it'll be that long. Just an article. Um, probably a long article, oh, though oh. you're right. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you meant you were going to put out like a, a regular one of your hardcover books. That would be quick in 11 oh, days. Okay. No, that means I, I can't write that fast. I do write kind of fast, <laughs> but not that fast. Well, do you know what I'm doing? Um Actually, I'm not really sure physically where I am going to be. I did want to attend an event, uh, preferably in New York, but actually, or, in, or, or uh, you know, I, I guess I didn't mention that. I am born and bred in New York, and mm-hmm. I moved to California. I'm currently in California. But the reason why this whole terrorism thing, <laughs> whole terrorism thing, 9-11, um, inspired me and changed my life is because... Um, my heart is still in New York, and when 9-11 happened, it was a wound to me personally as well. And my daughter was in Barnard at the time, so she was giving me minute-to-minute coverage, and that is when I decided that I wanted to devote a significant portion of my life to um, to helping people cope with terrorism, helping them with uh, coping with the memory of 9-11, which we are still suffering from, and um, and also with the ongoing threat of terrorism from uh, jihadists all over the world. So um, so that is why, and that's when, why I went to these conferences and so on. That that is how um, I got started in all of this. But um, what I so I wanted to attend, you know, go to events and so on. Um, but uh, you know, with COVID, I'm not really sure that I am that I'm ready to. But I want to go to New York, especially since a lot of these events are being canceled. But um, but what I am doing um, is um, I have rented a built mobile billboard that is going to go around Manhattan, and I am going to put things on the sides of the billboard, uh, things about why we need to keep 
uh, memorializing this day, things about what, uh, how parents can teach their kids about terrorism, um, how parents can answer questions, um, what, what we all can do to build resilience, things like that. I haven't, uh, I mean, I have a whole bunch of things to choose from. I haven't, I haven't settled on it yet. I'm in the process now of, of doing it, but, but I want people to, you know, it's, they're not going to be, um, they're not going to be seeing enough in the mainstream media. So I want to contribute to why, uh, to help people understand why it is so important that we keep memorializing it. In addition, of course, to honoring the people who died or were injured or their families and the people at ground zero who have died since nine 11, um, from cancer and so on. So, um, so that's what I'm going to do. I know it's, it's kind of taking a risk. People are going to either think, uh, this is, uh, I don't know what they're going to think. <laughs> it could be, it's going to be an ink block lot test, but, um, but I will feel that way since I don't know that I'm going to be able to speak at any event or attend any event. That will be my contribution to, um, helping people learn things about terrorism that I think they need to know. Excellent. Your reaction. Well, that's it. Uh, I think that's all together to the good. That's what we need more of. There are so many people nowadays who don't have any idea what we're up against or the threat that still remains to the United States. And so I commend you for fighting against that. Well, thank you. Well, so what do you think? We we talked at the beginning about Inspire and the video. Um, that Al-Qaeda is putting out, you know, and yes, it's, it, of course it's significant that, that they were quiet uh, from 2017 to, to now. This just came out in June um, for many reasons that they're feeling it's more, um, more easier to attack now. Um, do you think there's going to be an attack on, you know, the terrorists love to have these uh, have it have the attacks in places that are symbolic and dates that are symbolic. Do you think there are going to be attacks or an attack um, on the anniversary itself? I would doubt it, but it's certainly possible. I would doubt it because I remember from years ago that there was a uh, Hezbollah communication intercepted by the feds, uh, Hezbollah cell in the United States. And they were saying, we could mount terror attacks now, but we're not going to because we're getting everything we want without them. And so we don't need them right now, and they'll just bring unwanted law enforcement attention against us. So it's better if we don't have a uh, a jihad terror attack at this time. And I would suspect, I mean, of course, I don't know. It might be that they're mounting some massive attack on September 11th could happen, and especially with uh, Biden's handlers in the White House, nobody's watching them. The FBI is hunting for Trump supporters and so on. So there's yes. uh, no reason why it couldn't happen. Um, well, what did you mean that Hezbollah, what did Hezbollah, what was Hezbollah already getting for why they didn't have to attack? Well, what they're getting is the kind of thing we saw during the Obama administration. The support for groups that want to impose Islamic law worldwide. They want a free hand to act in the United States. They want uh, ultimately to be able to sow division in the United States and destabilize it. And we see how the left is doing that so assiduously nowadays. And so consequently, the uh, there's no need for jihad terror attacks because 
the United States is being uh, riven from within without them. Yes, yes. Of course, they do like media attention. <laughs> so, yes. You know, doing but an impact on nine eleven. Enough to know. Yeah, sometimes they're sensible enough to know media attention can be counterproductive. 9-11 was a great victory for the jihad worldwide, but it also brought more scrutiny to Islamic groups in the West than they had ever been subjected to before that. And it caused them a considerable Mm -hmm. amount of inconvenience. Yes, yes. Now, um, in connection with what you were just saying about Hezbollah um, and earlier about, uh, you know, what working from within, that would also presumably include some of the congresswomen we have these days. No doubt about it, yeah. Uh, you look at Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, the uh, Muslim congresswomen, they are following out an agenda that is frankly anti-Semitic and uh, very obviously anti-American, uh, supporting jihad terrorists, supporting the Palestinian jihadis and others, and all of this is going on with the approval of the left and the Democratic Party that is afraid, especially of Omar, and uh, doesn't want, unwilling to confront her for fear of appearing or being accused of Islamophobic. Yes, it is amazing that um, the squad has gotten so much power um, it's it's really rather frightening, uh, but even even with Nancy Pelosi being afraid of them, um, it's and and yet and yet the general public does not seem to be uh, concerned. Many of the general public does not seem to be concerned. And yes, I know which I think I know what you're going to say that that's because of the mainstream media playing it all down. Yes, exactly, and so people are complacent, they're ignorant, and they don't even realize that they're being lied to and deceived and manipulated. Well, um, what is the, we have, when we have a, about, we have about four minutes left. Um, is there something that we haven't, t- t- this is, this has been terrorism. Uh, all you wanted to know about terrorism in an hour, right? <laughs> all you wanted to know, well, actually, theoretically, that's true because if people go and get all of your books that we've mentioned, some of them, um, they could find out all they want to know about terrorism. But what is there something else that we didn't talk about that you want to make sure that we do? Well, I did want to note that uh, I have a book coming out in November that's available for pre-order on Amazon now that's called The Critical Quran, which is the first honest translation of the Quran in English. Uh, you want to know what the Quran really says about jihad warfare. Uh, a lot of the translations of the Quran cover it up. They say strive or struggle, which is technically correct, but actively misleading. Uh, And they don't give you the the understanding that you need that these are actually violent passages. And so it's got that. It's got uh, variant readings. Islamic spokesmen in the West routinely say that Allah has miraculously preserved the Quran, and there is absolutely no copy anywhere that does not dis- that disagrees in any way with every uh, every copy. That is, every copy is exactly the same. This is false, uh, and this is the first Quran ever that actually contains lists uh, contains the notes of variant readings at various points. And so, uh, there's also a great deal in it about how. 
the mainstream Islamic scholars understand various passages, so people will say, oh, you're taking it out of context and all the things that they always say when non-Muslims quote the Quran, and this Quran gives the context and shows how Muslims have understood the passages throughout history. Well, that sounds like something that's uh, sorely needed um, and should be another bestseller. As your current latest book, Did Muhammad Exist? An Inquiry into Islam's Obscure Origins, really uh, interesting and important. And also, I want to make sure that we repeat um, your website, jihadwatch.org, J-I-H-A-D, watch.org. And you can sign up for free um, for the weekly or uh, or several times a day, right? No, daily or several times a day um, edition of Jihad Watch, which has really some um, amazing, you know, unbelievable stories, stories that you will not see for the most part elsewhere, um, or certainly you'd have to kind of hunt for them. So... So I suggest that you go there and see um, see what Jihad Watch is doing, and how uh, my guest Robert Spencer is the that that is a compliment. <laughs> you realize the canary in the Thank coal you. mine. <laughs> Understood. No one's ever called you that before. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and it's thanks to you that we can all um, rest uh, at least. Rest a little bit safer in terms of that you are bringing all this information out and in a way that is not, uh, in a way that explains it so easily and well that, um, you know, we don't have to feel like we're, we have to slog through a, a <laughs> through something, um, a deep historical thing that we're not going to understand. I think you can see from our conversation today that Robert Spencer makes it very, um, very easy to understand and, of course, you know, very, um, I mean, the more we understand it, in a way, the more we realize that there is something to be concerned about, but then at least we can be prepared and build our resilience and so on. So thank you so much for being on Dr. Carol's Couch, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 